Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com I'm a feminist, but... Hello, Edinburgh! We are back in you! And I'm a feminist, but... uh, This morning, I put on my magnetic eyeliner, as we all do. You relate, hard relate. And then I left my hotel room. And as soon as I shut the door, I realised I hadn't put the magnetic eyelashes on. And I was like, "No, no problem here. I'll just go back in. None of my keys would work. And I was too late, running too late, due to, you'll understand, incompetence. And I, (laughs) so I I just had to go without them. And I was like, oh my God, now I've got all this big black eyeliner and no, but not even any mascara. I just look like a new romantic who's, like in the morning though. And I, after a big night, I was like, what am I going to do? And Tom said, do you want me to run back and get them? And I said, because it's only Chris Redden, and I said, no, because uh, you're not going to get them. He said, I could bring them out to you on the stage. <laughs> and it could be like a funny bit. <laughs> and I thought about that for a good 30 seconds <laughs> before I said, I probably, I don't think my feminism has hit the point of making a man run to get my magnetic eyeliner, uh, eyelashes, run to get my eyelashes and then performatively put them on stage in front of an audience of hundreds of people, I'm too ashamed. Now, if I were Beyonce, I would have just gone, yes. So it turns out the bit that's not feminist, I'm realising while telling you, is not that I wear magnetic eyeliner, is not that I went back for eyelashes, it's that I didn't say to a man, God damn it, yes! Bring me my eyelashes! I am a queen! Put them on Edinburgh on a raised pedestal. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it! Next time. I'm a feminist, but 
Uh, I'm sad that the Edinburgh Fringe uh, doesn't give out an award for best coat. Uh, because I, I think I'd definitely get a nomination at least uh, for the podcast listeners at home I'm wearing a very nice coat it's got major Big Bird vibes oh I'm calling it Big Bird energy that's what I'm bringing <laughs> I love it I someone love told it. me I look like Cruella de Vil who hates ducklings <laughs> for the listeners at home I look like Cruella de Vil who hates ducklings <laughs> If you're imagining that, you've got the coat. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but... <laughs> With these gorgeous nails. I know people uh, listening to the podcast can't see my gorgeous nails. Can you just confirm they're gorgeous? <laughs> but every time I blow my tyre, and that happens a lot, okay? I would blow anyone <laughs> to change those tyres. <laughs> hard to add a rejoinder to that, isn't it? <laughs> I can't change a tyre, but I can get a man to change a tyre for me. <laughs> that is a skill. Not, not everyone could do that. You can't just point at a man and say, change my tyre. It's going to be like, why? You could pay him. No, I don't want to do that. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I'll pay a professional. I'm not going to pay a random man. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be weird, isn't it? If I just say to a random man, oh my gosh, no, and then I go... Here's 50 quid. I, I might offer, but I know he's not going to take it. Because <laughs> of the way that I've asked him. You see what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Now, I'm a feminist, but yesterday, this is a true story. I mean, they're all true stories, but the, the eyelashes are true stories. <laughs> but this, this sounds, you know, like maybe I've made it. I haven't. I could show you the email. Um, it's a true story. Yesterday, I went into a bar after seeing a friend's comedy show and there was an empty table and a phone on the seat and uh, it clearly been lost. And I thought, oh, I'll hand it into the bar. But then I saw on the front of the, uh, on the phone, the person on their screensaver had put their email address. So it didn't say, please email this address, it just had their email address. So I thought, oh. So I thought, that's brilliant. I'm going to do that now. We should all do that. That's fantastic. So I emailed the person it was called Pam, um, and said, hey, I've just found your phone. This is the bar. This is the place. Um, I've handed it in at the counter, and you need to go and ask for this name, um, and you're going to get your phone back. And, uh, you know, signed it off, and it had my signature on it. And I thought, and I didn't think anything more of it, um, but I thought, oh, wouldn't it be lovely, because I'm at the fringe, if that was someone who knows the guilty feminist, because that would be really nice, wouldn't it? It'd be really nice for them and for me. If they go, oh my God, Tim from the Guilty Feminist just found my phone and emailed me this, and then I'd be like, oh my God, you're a guilty feminist. Oh. So I had this little fantasy. <laughs> a little fantasy about meeting a guilty feminist. A little fantasy, you know, how you do. Just, it just occurred to me. Um, and then I didn't think anything more of it. I forgot about it. And then this morning, I got an email <clears throat> that says, um, Dear Deborah, thanks so much for handing my phone in. I was having kittens. I thought that's potential. Potentially a guilty feminist would say I'm having kittens, wouldn't they? She said, I saw your show years ago called How to Get Almost Anyone to Want to Sleep with You. <laughs> and I always remember the bit about I'm a Scorsese movie in a hat. Okay, it's not clear to you, but it was a whole long metaphor about how to think about yourself. The show was about sexual confidence. Wasn't really about shagging. 
People often misunderstood that. Point is, it was a very successful show. Ran for some number of years. People loved it. Gave people a lot of sexual confidence at times, but um, uh, I wouldn't do it now because it was a little bit like, it was the noughties. It was men are like, women are like. You know, I wouldn't do it now. I wouldn't do it now. Um, and it was mostly about how to get people to want to sleep with you because that's implied in the title. So I don't think I've ever told you about it, I'll be honest. Um, she said, it really had an impact on me. I blossomed and grew in confidence. Take care and keep on. Bam. Ah. Oh. So I thought, well, that's really nice. Not what I was hoping for. <laughs> but really nice. Uh, so I wrote back and I said, um, oh, that's lovely, Pam. Um, I'm on at the Gilded Balloon today at 2 p.m. doing The Guilty Feminist. If you want to come and say hi, I'll do a shout out from the stage for you, Deborah, because I was hoping that she would see that I've moved on. <laughs> And I don't do that anymore. And I thought, why doesn't Pam know? Like, I changed her life. <laughs> this show's quite big. Like, why does she, why has she not gone, oh, I've seen you've gone on to other things. I've listened to the Guilty Feminist. That's given me some confidence too. I don't understand. Pam, where have you been? <laughs> Pam, how did you know me then and you don't know me now? <laughs> Pam, if you don't know me by now, you're never going to know me at all. <laughs> so can I please do a shout out in case Pam got this email in time and came in? Pam, are you in? Could some could, could one of you not pretend it to be Pam? I think if Pam was drunk enough to lose her phone, she's not going to be up in time to watch this. That's fair, fair, fair. Yeah, fair. Uh, I'm a feminist, but when I saw that three of the four main CEOs that are responsible for polluting the seas and rivers with actual shit were women, I thought to myself. Ooh, girl boss. <laughs> Are we ready to start the show? And welcome, welcome, welcome to the Guilty Feminist. Big round of applause for Alison Spittle. Jamby McGraw. Grace Petrie, who you're going to be seeing a little bit later. And you yourselves for coming. Look at this, I've just found this on the ground. Hold on, one second. <gasps> Maybe it's from Pam. <laughs> beautiful picture of me that is more flattering than necessary do you see what I mean sort of I know the picture this is taken from and I definitely don't look as sexy so whoever drew this thank you and well done do you know what it's how I felt when the picture was being taken and how I thought it would look do you ever do a face in a picture and you think oh this is a really sexy face and then you see it and you just go like no I just look like you know so disappointing I don't know how people do that. Like models on America's Next Top Model and things, and they're smizing and they're like, and they just, the thing that they're thinking comes across. The thing that I'm thinking, I can be fully thinking about an orgasm, but just look like I'm constipated. It's disappointing. <laughs> now, um, I know my angles. You'll see the same photo of me everywhere all over the internet. I'm in different clothes, but it's always the same photo of me. <laughs> I know my angles. Uh, this says, to Deb, I'm a feminist. But when I gave you a drawing in Newcastle a few months ago, you said you looked fat in it. Oh, no. <laughs> so I've redrawn it and tried to make you look skinnier. <laughs> so the thing is, I don't... Look, the thing is... I'm not thin. I've been all different weights. I've been all different weights. 
And I said, I don't identify as thin, I don't identify as fat, and I have friends who are thin and friends who are fat. I identify as mid-size. I think probably my objection was that doesn't quite look like me. That looks like somebody who's a larger size than me. Is that... (laughs) The point is, thank you for the drawing, which obviously, you know, I sincerely felt was sexy because I said it before I read... I'm a feminist, but Grace Petrie is bringing me a coffee on stage. Thank you so much. I didn't get a chance to have a coffee this morning. I thought thought Ali, our stage manager, was going to kind of discreetly do it, but I love the fact that it's been brought to me by one of the most famous folk and protest singers in the country because it makes me feel fancy. Mm. Um, It's still a bit hot. Um, I'll pop it down. Thank you, Grace. Um, All right, so Edinburgh... It's been a while. I don't know if you've noticed. Um, we've had all sorts of global pandemics, and here we are now, allowed in the same room, breathing the same air, just like it's normal. It's so exciting. This house is completely full, uh, except for the seats that have been left for the uh, Edinburgh television producers who are off somewhere snorting coke off someone else's flyer. Um, <laughs> maybe mine. Uh, we'll never know. Uh, so I just want to know, I've been asking audiences all around uh, Britain, UK, um, Australia and New Zealand what acts of feminism they've done since I've been able to see them last because it's been a long time on Zoom and I didn't enjoy the Zoom era. I don't know if you did. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. This show's always been a live show from day one. We had an audience, not a big audience at first, but we had an audience and we ended up with a huge audience. We were at the Royal Albert Hall right before lockdown. And so it's just so exciting to be back after spending all this time, not even with another comedian in the room. It's just so wonderful. So all I want to do is talk to you now. I just want to be with you. You don't have to talk to me if you don't want to, by the way. I'm not going to come along and say, you, sir, do you have a job? I'll laugh at it. No, I'm not going to. Not that kind of comedian, and this isn't that kind of show. Whatever your job is, I'm sure it's wonderful. Um, uh, it isn't, what, what is it? What was it? A client manager. Well, it depends what kind of clients they are, doesn't it? What kind of clients are they? Video game developers. Are any of them women? Yeah, there you go. See, what you're doing is diversity and inclusion for video games, sir. <laughs> Yeah. I don't even want to, sorry, I don't want to impose gender upon you. Uh, you're a man. Are you a cisgender man? Uh, yes. Great, okay. And you're doing video games for uh, a living? Yes. Yes, okay. And do you listen to the Guilty Feminist? No. You don't? <laughs> it's all right, it's all right. I just said I wasn't going to laugh at you for having a job. We might laugh at you for not being a feminist if it turns out that's a lot. He is a, he's a feminist. I told myself I would do my homework as well. Oh, <laughs> lovely man. What's your name? Andrew, Andrew said, oh no, I am a feminist and I promised myself I would do my homework and listen to this podcast and then I forgot. <laughs> so relatable, Andrew. So, re- how, which, of, which of us have not gone to a show, oh, I thought I'd listen to this, I have got gone to a music gig with a friend and thought, oh, I must listen to some of their songs so I can do some of the lyrics and things like that and listening along. And if I, so Andrew, Andrew's too busy doing feminism to be listening to <laughs> not had time he's doing video games and feminism he's, he's changing the face of video games by including women and reshaping the business Andrew's busy <laughs> Andrew listen you're going to listen to this episode because you're featured in it <laughs> so this is an incentivized situation for you you want to know what made the edit <laughs> excellent um, but you would do identify as a feminist did someone bring you here today uh, who brought you 
Sonali, are you friend? Uh, dating. Yes. dating. I didn't want to. I didn't want to assume, but I was hoping. Um, so you're dating, okay? Mm. And you've brought him here. Now that sounds like, given you've sat him in the front row, you were hoping he'd learn. Oh, he chose the show. Then you've not been dating long. No, I know this ploy. I know this ploy. Uh, you would have no. You think my audience is going to be full of young women and you know women of all ages? Actually, it is full of women of all ages. But there's often a sort of you know a lot of young women trying to you know well, I'm going to be an actor as well. And people of minority genders and, you know, obviously there's lots of gay men that come to the show because you've listened to it and you've listened to the Dublin episodes and you know about the gay Michaels. Um, But you would be very surprised how many straight cisgendered men come to this show on a third date. Oh, I planned it. I booked it. See? And now I'm a feminist with a sense of humour. What more do you need to know? Um, I'm not implying that's the situation here. You're not straight. <laughs> oh, you're both bi. Oh, that's oh, oh, young millennial strike again. <sighs> oh, it's stressful, isn't it? Did you see how many how many assumptions I tried not to make there? I'm not, I didn't make any assumptions. I don't assume you're a man. I don't want to assume you're dating. I don't want to assume you're dating a woman. Oh, you are dating a woman and you're a man. And then I accent, I, oh, throw it on the floor. Straight man, I'm not straight. Oh, no, oh, no. You've made one assumption and you've fallen right into my hole. Oh, young millennials and Gen Zs, they're Batman villains. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm so sorry, you're both by. Of course you are, you're in the front row of my audience. I don't know what I was thinking. I also am by, so I'm allowed to make that mistake. Thank God it was that one. I will not assume you're monogamous. I will not assume... We're not. We're not, okay, right? Quite a stressful morning, if I'm honest. I... I didn't get to have any coffee, and uh, this is the first foray into the audience. Now, what I normally ask is, has anyone done any acts of feminism <laughs> since I saw you last? And uh, some of you will have heard me doing this on the podcast because I'm trying to find out what people have done around the country and around the world. In fact, and I'm asking for an act of feminism that would intimidate nobody. <laughs> I'm looking for the smallest act of feminism that you think is just going to encourage others. So other people in the audience are going to go, I can do better than that. That's what I'm looking for. Now, in Stratford-upon-Avon, I, uh, somebody, uh, somebody there said, um, put her hand up and said, I said, a small act of feminism, tiny. She put up her hand and said, I co-founded. I said, no. <laughs> Most people will never co-found anything. You have to understand. We're looking for something minor, mini. Has anyone got anything? Woo! Yes? Sonali. Yes. Um, a few years ago, my mum from India was visiting me. I'm Indian. And it's the first time I had her all to myself away from my father and my brother. So we got to meet each other better as adults. 
built up a relationship more as adults became friends told her about you know the guys i'm dating made her sit down and watch queer eye so that she could learn more about gay people at the end of it she said her favorite was stan france and i'm like mom you realize not only is he gay but he's british pakistani and she went oh oh my god okay and then kitchen <laughs> yeah so just as a context where middle class kind of slightly conservative ethos but my mom's been growing with me um then we were in a mall in manchester and i spotted an ann summers and i took her in with me to the back of the shop <laughs> yes i'm pretty sure go on i'm pretty sure the sales person was very confused because i don't think you get very mother like many mother daughter duos coming in no no <laughs> so she saw us and was like i don't know what's happening here but i'll still be professional um <laughs> my mom looked at some i'm sorry this is going to get a bit risky she looked at some anal plugs and was like what is that and i turned to her i'm like you know many people use it but i guess most famous what, what was what were you looking at anal plugs anal plants plugs oh plugs plugs imagine <laughs> <laughs> i was like i haven't been into anal for a while clearly plugs <laughs> <laughs> the anus and then i was like oh many couples use it during sex but most famously associated with gay couples i guess She's like, "Oh, I did wonder how they have sex." I'm like, "Yes. That's one way, I guess." And then she turns to me and says, "So, how do lesbians do it?" And I'm looking at my 60-year-old teddy bear of a very cute, innocent mother, and I say, "Well, mom, again there are different ways to do it, but I guess they focus a lot of the times on the clit." And then she looks at me and says, "Hmm, you know, it is all about the clit." <laughs> that is the best conversation i've had in my entire life and <laughs> i did buy my mama toy by the way and i was like this is a present for you we are not going to do better than that story all i can say is please welcome the stage the incredible alison spitter hey debra Hello Alison Spittle. How are you feeling? I'm feeling okay. How are you? Oh, it's the last day of the fringe. Absolutely depressed. Are you? Why? I don't know. I just woke up this morning and I was just like, what is life for? You must find eggs. So, those are my two things. Finding the meaning of life and finding a poached egg. Did you find either? I got a poached egg. <laughs> Well, listen, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm so, I'm so delighted. I saw your show yesterday. Oh, yeah. And I couldn't believe it wasn't nominated because I just thought it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. That's very kind of you, Deborah. I couldn't Me stop neither. Joking. <laughs> I just found it so hysterically funny. You've got one more today, but it's sold out, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's sold yeah. out. It's called Wet, and it's about aqua aerobics <laughs> and uh, getting the coil in that made me want to kill myself. But it's funny. <laughs> so, yeah. No, it's really, really funny. Are you going to tour it? Hopefully. Yes, yeah. and that the next thing that we try and do after the fringe. Yeah, is tour the show. I sound a lot sicker than I am. I'm fine. This is just from karaoke. <laughs> I'm delighted to hear mm. that. Um uh Alison, yeah. Um what's the best thing about the fringe for you? Oh, the best thing about the fringe is um 
having people that you meet like three times a year, but seeing them every day. So it's like a wedding every day. It's like your own wedding every day. And you're just fussing and worrying about your part to play in it. But everybody is essentially having a good time. I mean, there are a few people crying at it, but it wouldn't be a wedding without that, would it? That is the best description of the Fringe I've ever heard. Thank you. My description of the Fringe is crying uphill in the rain while having the time of your life. Oh, yes. The first ever time that I did the Fringe, it was terrible for me. Um, I had a documentary crew following me from Ireland. (gasps) Did you know about that? Yeah, no, yeah. (laughs) They were loud. Essential documentary crew. Oh, I've got court order against them now. You know? Um, but um, I, <laughs> I, my first ever show was called Alison Spittle Needs an Agent, right? Because I wanted an agent at the time. Um, it was a cry for help that went unanswered. Um, very much so. And um, the, the documentary ended in me, because um, it started with me going, I'm so enthusiastic, I'm going to have a lovely time, I just love doing comedy. And the documentary ended with me crying into the camera, Intercut with me flyering in the rain. <laughs> Intercut with a picture of two people that came to my show that sat separately, oh. right? And then I go, I just haven't validated myself as a comedian. And uh, that was the end of that documentary. <laughs> yeah, you've and done I'm still really, here. You've done really well since then and you've had a, a sellout run. Yeah, thanks to Guilty Feminist and other podcasts I do. Like genuinely, um, if I didn't do this podcast... I don't think I'd still be doing The Fringe. You know, it's changed my life, uh, having the audience come in. It's been lovely. And it's, like, nice to do a show. The show is about, like, consent, if I'm being frank. Um, But you can't really put that on a flyer. And isn't everything about consent? Uh, You know, and about the coil and about stuff that I really wanted to talk about. And it's stuff that I was always afraid to do as a stand-up comedian when I first started. Um, I used to get compliments for not doing comedy about my vagina, and um, I genuinely, I was a misogynist when I first started doing stand-up comedy. Like I was, I was one of those reversey ones. Like, and um, I would be like, yeah, fuck those bitches. I don't do comedy about my vagina because I've got so much more to talk to. There's so much more to me than my vagina. But genuinely, the reason why I didn't when I first started doing comedy was um, just fuck all what's happening to it, do you know? <laughs> um, so it's hard to write about stuff. It's like being involved in a war, do you know? And you're just doing the admin. You're photocopying. <laughs> but one day I'm going to get called up. And when I do, I'll be very afraid. But I'll do it. Um, so, yeah, it's been a nice journey. It's been a nice journey. Well, I can't recommend your show highly enough. So I really, really do hope that you tour it. Um, it's absolutely incredible. We have another comic on today who is also going to join us here and also there. Um, so, are we ready to see some stand-up comedy? I'm ready. Then put your hands together and make incredible woohooing noises for the wonderful Jamie McGraw! Hey, how are you guys doing? You all right? Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. So, uh, yeah, I am from Africa. Silence, silence. Usually they tell us to fuck off, but I'll take the silence. But you guys seem like a good crowd. 
Uh, and I look like this and I travel around the country uh, doing comedy and I know everybody's worried about uh, immigrants. So I like to start off by saying, guys, please don't worry about me. I'm a good immigrant. I am trying so hard to be a good British person. I now say British things like I beg your pardon before I push a lady off her seat. <laughs> Africans, I was raised uh, with good Christian values, like loving my neighbor. His wife doesn't know. <laughs> and uh, I have a white friend. <laughs> Another one, not Jesus. <laughs> but my white friend, she's very nice. She was on the phone to me. She said, Jabby, come, let's go on a camping holiday. I was like, no, thank you. Let me see, big and flimsy accommodation, sleeping on cold, hard floors, and going to the bushes every time you need a wee. That's what we call visiting grandma. <laughs> she lives in Glasgow. <laughs> I was in Waitrose today, and uh, not shopping, I just like the smell of money. <laughs> and there was a very posh woman in there. She leans over to a two-year-old and goes, darling, what would you like for supper? So I stopped to listen, because giving a child options is a whole new thing to me. <laughs> My mother gave me options like, do you want food? <laughs> and then she would give it to me and child, don't eat everything. Yeah. Think of all the obese children in America. <laughs> it works both ways. So I've, I'm realizing that everybody gets worries about immigrants. And people start to speculate. You guys notice people speculate about immigrants. People say things like, oh, no, immigrants don't integrate. And I'm like, guys, please relax. My husband is English. I integrate every night. <laughs> Sometimes I include him. <laughs> yes, my husband is English and I'm African. And we've been together for a long time. Uh, we have pet names for one another. He calls me his African queen. I call him the colonizer. <laughs> and yes, my husband is white and I'm black. Obviously, our children are gray. <laughs> and uh, we met when I was studying in New York. Uh, it was love at first sight. He spotted me from across the room and we fell in love. After two weeks, he proposed. Two weeks he proposed, and I obviously confirmed you had a British passport. <laughs> you don't want to say yes and then find out on your wedding night he's from Bulgaria. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, I am so sorry, wrong GDP, sorry. <laughs> sorry. And you know, he got so worried when we decided to get married because like mixed-race relationships can be very problematic. Because like my mother, she's a very staunch Christian. His mother is a very staunch racist. <laughs> and I know, I know people like to stereotype. People stereotype too much. You guys think people stereotype too much? People stereotype so much all the time. People say things like, uh, white people can't dance. Black people can't swim. Well, I swim every day, but I can't dance. I even tried the white people dancing song. Do you remember the song that was written to help white people with the dancing? You remember the song? You put your right leg in, right leg in. <laughs> didn't work for me either, okay? <laughs> didn't work for me, didn't work for me. Because people think that all black people do the same shit. <laughs> people think that all black people, every Sunday, we're a church going, oh Lord, why would you take Prince and leave Kanye? <laughs> it's not what we do, it's not what we do. 
say that when you travel, you find out something about yourself. So I came to Britain, I found out I was black. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know, because like in Africa, we don't actually know we are black. Uh, we are all walking around Africa thinking that we're just people. Uh, turns out we are black. <laughs> but we are not, though some of us are light brown, others are dark brown, others are medium brown. I guess it's easier for white people because you only have two shades before and after sun. <laughs> You guys know this, we're in the middle of a cultural, huh? We're in the middle of a cultural. But you know what? Race issues have been going on for a very long time. Even Hitler tried to create a super race. Yeah, Hitler wanted people with fair skin, blue eyes, blonde hair. Now you've seen Boris. <laughs> See, I have an idea for a super race, okay? They would have Mediterranean skin so they never have to tan. They would have Indian hair because it's fabulous. They would have an African ass. White privilege. <laughs> That's Meghan Markle. <laughs> and I am Tim Meghan. So guys, I'm from Kenya, and Kenya was a British colony. And uh, Kenya and Britain went to war. You don't know about this war because we won. <laughs> That's why you don't celebrate it. But you know what? Like, I know, like my husband is English, and I know a lot of white people, and I can never compute between the people that colonized us and you lot, okay? I just can't. I, I just can't. I try and I can't, okay? But you know what? You've got to give it to them because the British colonizers were very audacious, okay? They would turn up anywhere in Africa. They would find an African going about his business, and they'll be like, take me to your leader at once. Can you imagine if I turned up at Heathrow Airport and went, take me to your leader at once? Like, British people will be so confused, they'll be like, I am so sorry, I, there is no leadership. <laughs> and there hasn't been since 2010. <laughs> and when the British arrived in Kenya, they found that we were polygamist. And they automatically assumed that African women were oppressed. Because what they saw was one man with his five wives. What we saw was five women with a handyman living in a compound. <laughs> did all of their chores and then gave them a happy ending. <laughs> and uh, when the British arrived, they found that uh, homosexuality was acceptable in Kenya, and they outlawed it, okay? Like, my great-great-grandmother, she had four wives. Not one, not two, not three, but four fucking wives. <laughs> she died of exhaustion. <laughs> That's my time. Thanks very much. Jumpy McGraw, everybody! Come take a seat. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Chubby, that was phenomenal. 
Thank that was you. really riveting. Thank you so much for well, doing that for you. us. Um, how's your run been going at the Fringe? Well, you know, you know, you were talking about uh, crying in the rain. I've been flying in the rain as well, uh-huh. and uh, it, it's so it's weird. It's such a roller coaster, but it's amazing. Like you were saying, it reminds me of uh, my university days, where uh, I go all night, uh, I go out all night and uh, get pissed with uh, comics, and then regret it in the morning. And I'm thinking, oh, I have to go and fly uh, and talk to people and not be sick in front of people. Uh, so, yeah, so it's it's been amazing, but it's a, quite a roller coaster. And I've got one more show today, and it's not sold out. Oh, oh. it will be. It will be. Let's it get will on be now. So what time is it? It's at five fifty today at the Pleasant Baby Grant. I haven't had a sold out show. Okay, so let's make this today their sellout show. Yeah. It has been, uh, because of the train strikes, a very strange oh. fringe. Uh, I mean, a, a bunch of things, not just the train strikes. Yeah. The planes have been weird, the transport costs, because... The rubbish. The rubbish on the ground, and then there's, the papers have been saying next year it's going to be 18% inflation and you're not going to be able to afford yeah. your gas bill. So I think some people who normally would spend, you know, 900 quid coming to the fringe and seeing lots of shows have yeah. gone, maybe keep that for yeah, fuel. Because um, next year, you could either be paying your fuel bill or you could be burning... All of the fringe flyers that you got given, oh, and just rubbing your hands over them. Uh, that's what I think people are worried about. So, uh, if we, c- I'm going to come to that today for sure. Yes. Yay! I what? will too. And on tree after my show, I'll come to see. Yeah, yeah. So, Alison and I will be there. Does anyone else want to come? Yeah. Right. Nice. Also, like, so you- I think you know, burning our flyers. We should burn the government next year. They'd be great fuel. <laughs> like just, wouldn't it be amazing? <laughs> yeah. Also. That was a metaphorical joke. No. Alison Spittle is not inciting violence against the government. I don't want you arrested on my show. Would I get arrested? Yeah, you could. For saying burn the government, 100%. Oh, but, like, you know, I'm wearing a yellow coat. Like... <laughs> no, it's clearly a joke, but I'm just adding it's clearly a joke because this government, Pretty Patel, she would not... Oh, she'd be the first, like... <laughs> That she gets irony though. If anyone here is in law enforcement, I'm not being ironic. <laughs> Arrest me now. Let's yeah. do it. Listen, no, uh, take it down from the inside. Um, uh, is By here? burning it. So, <laughs> so. I'm saying nothing about this conversation, okay? <laughs> Definitely don't. I don't um, want to end up in Rwanda. No. <laughs> Yeah, 100%, 100%. This is... this is. Uh, please burn them, please. No. That's definitely something for a white person to say. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm using my privilege. Burn the motherfuckers down. Okay. Sorry. So, you know, like at the end, Pretty Patel, if you're listening, and I know that you are by now because somebody listens to everything and has oh, brought this to your attention. I don't think you're a regular listener, Pretty Patel. If you are, you've heard some really funny jokes about yourself. Um, <laughs> She's very guilty. Like, I can say that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. I, I don't know about the feminist. I, my fa- one of my favourite ever. I'm a feminist butts was I'm a feminist but If I if I was in a public loo and Pretty Patel asked me for a tampon, I wouldn't give her one, even if she was wearing a white suit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the final frontier for a sisterhood. Seriously, that's the worst. Could you tell us about your book? Because uh, there's, some of us are going to come to the show today. Some of you will already have tickets for something else. Uh, hopefully you'll tour it. But yes. what's your show called just before we... 
So my show is called Black Black, and I'm comparing my life now as a comedian living in the UK to my grandmother, who was a comedian in colonial Kenya, uh, under very difficult circumstances. She was a comedian in colonial Kenya? Yeah. Yeah. That's so fascinating. Yeah. You know, my great-grandmother was a comedian in London, but I never knew this because I was adopted. So we need to do a double act about grandmothers who were comedians. Seriously, because like um, um, that that would be amazing. Because my, my grandmother, they were. I, I mean, I, I, I just, I just, I'm so sorry. Yes. <laughs> my great grandmother was in a double act with my great aunt, and do you know where my and my, when they went solo, my great aunt became a solo comedian, and then she moved to Kenya. No. Yeah, during the during that era, she was like You're in 19, no, 19, 1910, I think she went out. So that's around the same time my grand, well, my grandmother. Then she was a, a young girl. That's Do incredible. you think they knew each other? Well, it's unlikely because. Well, oh, I was very quiet is, during that bit. <laughs> The reason I say this is is because uh, um, 1900s is when the British occupied Kenya. Oh God! And they, uh, <laughs> and yeah, they I was thinking at that, bro. I was like, I oh, wouldn't I be bragging really, about I know, that. I, know, but, <laughs> <laughs> I take it. Oh, no, nothing happened to me. <laughs> no, I think her husband was in uh, engineer, like en- he was an engineer or something. He did wa- he did wa- he helped put water in or something like that. So I don't think he, he was. As colonizers go, he was one of the nicer ones. Could be. Okay. Tell us about your book. Do you know? What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so uh, my book, uh, my book is, uh, it is about my family history. Um, a, a few years ago, uh, uh, I, I was living in my last went, my West London home with my husband and my daughters, and I was very happy until I got a wedding invitation, and this wedding invitation was uh, from my brother. And uh, he said that he was going to invite my father uh, to the wedding, and that brought back a horrid a spiral of trauma. Uh, because when I was 13, uh, my father came home and he attacked me, and uh, he, he beat me up. And the last thing I remember seeing was an object coming towards me, and I blacked out. And I woke up, it was pitch black, and uh, I was so frightened. I, uh, I got up and I, I walked all night in the middle of Kenyan countryside and um, with my blue tin suitcase, I was 13, and uh, I, uh, as I was walking, uh, I saw headlights. And usually I would run because I'm quite scared of, the, of anything, really. And uh, two men got out of the car and they asked me to get, they asked me where I was going. And I said I was going to boarding school, which was obviously a lie because I was bleeding. I had, my nightdress was covered in blood. So they said, get in the car. So I got in the car and they asked me where, where is my boarding school? And I told them location where uh, my mom uh, was. So um, my mom had fled uh, under similar circumstances. And uh, she was working night shift and she came out of her night shift to see me standing there uh, with my suitcase uh, covered in uh, blood oh and, and all swollen. And so, uh, so that's the last time I, I, I saw my dad. And um, so, so many years later, to then uh, have the real chance of coming face to face with him brought out a huge amount of trauma. 
and uh, that, that's what the, the book is about. But it's it's also funny. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's also funny. It, it's about my discovery. It's about trying to reconnect with him and a series of things that, that took place. I don't want to tell you too much because I don't want to ruin your enjoyment of, of reading the book. But yeah. we are who we are because of what happened. And um, I, I didn't realize the trauma that we still bore uh, as a continent. So uh, I found out stuff about my dad. I found out stuff about my mom. Uh, I don't know if you know this, between 1952 and 1960, uh, uh, the, uh, the British opened concentration camps in Kenya, and my mother was eight when they left. Oh. When they went in there, uh, they left when, in 1960. Oh so they God. were all very traumatized, and they were trying to raise children with all of that trauma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Like, trauma is, is such a massive thing within all of our lives. Yeah. And, like, um, to, I, I find it, like, great that you're trying to be funny with it as well, because... Being funny is a way of communicating. It's definitely a way I've definitely processed my trauma and stuff. And, it, and, and like, I feel sometimes that you almost have to be apologetic for being funny about your own trauma. And it's like, you shouldn't. And I really can't wait to read your book. Like, it sounds oh, fantastic. thank you so much. Thank yeah. you so much. Me too. Um, thank you. It's called... It's called Through the Leopard's Gaze. Yes. And it's available now in paperback, hardback. Yes, so it's, it's available in all good bookstores. Uh, <laughs> Do you like saying that? And, and, if I wrote a book, I'd love to say that, you well, know? And, and if, if they don't stock it, then it's not a good bookstore. <laughs> because one of, the th- one of the challenges of being a black writer is also getting our books to shops because they say black people don't read and black people don't write. And so you can prove to them that black people do write and black people do read by actually asking for the book. Because even marketing our work can be very difficult. So this is what my publishers have found. But you can also get it from, directly from my publishers. They, they only publish uh, black books because major publishers uh, don't really publish black people. So it's Jacaranda Music, uh, so that's my publisher, or you can get by directly from my website. Uh, and if you want to sell your soul to the devil, uh, you can buy it from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so excited to read it, and I'm so excited to Thank see you. your show, Black Black, this afternoon. Uh, you've also uh, had a hit Radio 4 series, uh, successful Soho theatre runs, uh, comedy specials on Amazon Prime, yes. Next Up, and BBC iPlayer. So you can check out Jambi's work in all of those places. And you are also the Hackney Empire New Act of the Year. So we are going to be seeing major things for you. I hope you'll come and co-host an episode of The Guilty Feminist. I have been waiting. <laughs> You. Yes. Nobody told me. I've been waiting for so long to hear those words, uh, Deborah, and I would love to do it. Well, oh, I can't wait, Jambi. I want to hear much more from you. Um, it has been absolutely incredible. And now to close the show, the incredible Grace Petrie! Yeah. Grace, how's your show been going? I've loved it, mate. Yeah. It's honestly, I think, one of the most necessary shows I've ever seen. Oh, crikey. Um, And I don't, necessary doesn't sound like an enormous compliment for a comedy show. So I will (laughs) say, gosh, that was necessary. Uh, I will also say, really, really funny and incredibly moving. I've seen it twice. 
Once at the gate of an airport when we were on tour together, I was the only audience member, obviously. Uh, we didn't make other people waiting for the plane watch it. Uh, but we should have, now I realise. And then I saw it uh, at, the, at the Assembly George Square. Have you got another show today? I've got one more today at 4.20. Is it, is it sold out? Um, it's not sold out. It's quite a long way off. You could Why don't we do a tour? Why don't we do a tour? Oh. Go to Grace's and then go to... We like, could do... I might yeah. go to Grace's again. Who wants to come to, like, on a pub crawl... Yes. Bring a beer from Grace. So we go Grace 420, then we'll go over to Jambi 10 to 6. And don't worry about me. I'm fine, right? I'll get us a bottle of Prosecco from me and like, well, can we, is it legal? Hold on, what time's your show? Don't worry. I'm at a 445. Are you sold out there? Exactly. So don't worry about me. And I'll spiritually, um, I'll, give, I'll get some Ferrero Rochers. I feel that's feminist. Okay. And um, is it? I don't know. They are the most feminist chocolate, aren't they? Ferrero Rocher's. Um, We're not here tomorrow, but listen to The Guilty Feminist. If you could rate, review and subscribe. um, I'm meant to tell you that all the time and I never do. If you could give it five stars, it would really, really help the podcast because obviously with the pandemic and everything, it makes a big difference. So if you could just, all you need to do for us and listen to old episodes. What was your name? Andrew, that's right. Sorry, Andrew. I should have remembered because Scotland. But um, (laughs) it's the the only name in Scotland, really. It's your saint. It's your saint. Um, Yeah, Andrew, listen to all the old episodes. There's 300. Get going. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Um, Well, uh, I'm going to give you a choice uh, because I'm not sure what to do. Um, uh, So uh, it's my first fringe this year. um, But isn't it lovely to be back, right? Isn't it just lovely to be back? Um, uh, And I feel like uh, I feel very emotional today because I um, really enjoyed doing this show and it's the last time I'll probably ever do it. And also, I think the fact that I've been drinking for 23 days has something to do with it. Because um, I do feel quite tearful this morning. But I do just think live art is amazing. And it's been, you know, after everything the world's been through in the last couple of years, I, it feels like an amazing privilege to have been here this month. So um, I could sing you a song about the pandemic or I could sing you a song about imposter syndrome. Um, it, give me a shout if you want a song about the pandemic. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You can meet me afterwards. I'll do it for you. Um, Give me a shout if you want a song about imposter syndrome. Okay. (laughs) The other one would have been a bit more feel-good, but you do you. Well, I, uh, yeah, I feel very um, proud of myself for doing a comedy show because I'm not a comedian. I am a singer-songwriter. Um, but I've done this show with no music at all, so uh, it's, uh, uh, I feel proud of myself for stepping out of my comfort zone. And uh, this is a song that I wrote about um, feeling like I'm not qualified to be doing what I'm doing. But I feel like after I've had a really nice month, I feel like I'm proud of myself, so I'm going to sing this song. It's called Nobody Knows That I'm a Fraud. And it goes out to, give me a shout if you've ever suffered from imposter syndrome. <laughs> Oh, wow, blimey. <laughs> Deeply underconfident crowd. You love me. <laughs> Thank you very much. Mum's in. Um, yes, it's. I'm a protest singer, by the way. So I sing like left wing politics songs. You need to know that for the first line, otherwise, it doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> I don't watch PMQs as often as you might expect. I only live to eat question time for comedic effect. <laughs> there it is. That's the comedic effect. <laughs> we should go on tour together, baby, you and me. I have never read Virginia Woolf or any Bertolt Brecht, and nobody knows that I'm a fraud. 
It's often been alleged that I'm as hard left as can be. But my idea of edgy is an unknown brand of tea. And I'm not even veggie, let alone dairy-free. Nobody knows that I'm a fraud. But I'll get up underneath the lights until I feel adored. And I'll never tell you anything I think you won't applaud. Oh, it might not always be the truth, but it'll have three chords. Nobody knows that I'm a fraud. Nobody knows that I'm a fraud. Well, dressing how I do, I find I often get mistook by graphic novel fans that judge me on the way I look. But I just like Batman shirts. I've never read a comic book. Nobody knows that I'm a fraud. When people call me a musician, that makes my palms perspire. I took grade one piano and I never got no higher. And if I didn't have this capo, then you'd all see I'm a liar. Nobody knows that I'm a fraud. Until I feel adored And I'll never tell you anything I think you won't applaud Oh, it might not always be the truth But it'll have three chords Nobody knows that I'm a fraud Nobody knows that I'm a fraud And some days I get so scared that we're losing And some days I'm just so sure we'll never win and some days I get so knackered from refusing to let that in, to let that in. Whoa. Well, some days life feels like a play that you have not rehearsed. But one thing's true of all of us sharing this universe is we could all be doing better. But we could all be doing worse And everyone you know feels like a fraud Come on and get up underneath the lights until you feel adored But never tell them anything you think they won't applaud Yeah, it might not always be the truth, but it'll have three chords Nobody knows that I'm a fraud Oh, it might not always be the truth, but it'll have three and I guess that I'll take up comedy when I run out of course Cause nobody knows that I'm a fraud Producer for the Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinski. Thanks to Bjorn, Jody, Karen, and all and everyone at the Guilty Balloon, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. 
This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com